Good evening and welcome to Transatlantic History Ramblings with Lauren and Brian. I'm Lauren from Swansea in South Wales and with me, as always, is... It's Brian in Buffalo, New York, US of A. Lauren, how are you? I'm good. Did you see I had a surprise delivery last week? I did. And did you see the response that I put on there? I did, yes. Very exciting. Should we let the audience in on this? Yes, I received a proof copy of Alison Weir's new book um, that is due out on in May. And I reached out to our dear friend Alison and said, hey, you got a new book out. Do you want to come on your favorite show? And she said, absolutely. I miss you guys and tell Lauren I said hello. So how about that? I'm, I'm sure she didn't say she missed her. She did, actually. <laughs> she has fun on our show. The One of the most famous authors in the world loves coming on this show. Oh, I was actually oh, scandalized by your behavior. <laughs> she loves my behavior. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? I'm, I'm excited about tonight's show, Lauren. Uh-huh. What's that? Well, we're talking about Batman, and you know I'm a nerd, and I love that. But I'm really excited because we have two guests coming on, returning guests to our show, wonderful friends, the amazing FizzFop1, Darren McDonald, and the legendary Nikita Brezhnikov, both of which were guests on episodes you couldn't make. So you're going to be meeting our friends for the first time. I know, that's exciting. But before we get to the happy stuff, there is something stuck in my craw this week. Goodness, there's always something stuck in your crawl. I don't like that I'm getting old. Getting old, right? Well, yeah, I know. And whenever I see things that remind me how old I'm getting, I get a little angry. Not angry, just upset. And something happened to me yesterday that made me realize I'm old. I'm not hip enough to understand what my conversation candy hearts say anymore. (laughs) Why are you still eating candy hearts? Well, first off, those conversation candy hearts, they make them in Smarties flavor now, so they're, like, delicious. Okay. But but when I was a kid, they used to say things like hug and kiss and I love you, right? You know the candy hearts I'm talking about, Lauren, right? Yeah, I think we call them love hearts. Okay, but they used to say nice things like that. Yeah. So... Folks, don't even read your hearts anymore. Just eat them. Because I read one and it said something and I had to look it up online to see what it meant. Now, Lauren, I'm going to ask you this cold. See if you know what it means. My candy conversation heart said, on fleek. Oh, yeah, yeah. I know that means. Like, you're on point. Like, you look good. F-L-E-K. Yeah. like. How did you know that? (laughs) What the fuck does on fleek mean, and why does it say that on my candy heart? Well, if you liked somebody and you thought they looked really snazzy, you'd say, oh, you look fleek. How about it just says, hug, kiss, I love you. You know what they used to say? What? On fleek. But that's too easy. Well, then why can't I get one that says, suck my balls if you love me? (laughs) I mean probably not enough room on the candy heart to print that right Mm, no i don't think there is i don't think you'd want that on fleek that kind of pissed me off but then i got happy again because i was going through our show's email box lauren 
you have caused a stir with our listeners. Wow, how have I done that? No one believes it takes five servings to eat a pint of ice cream. It's an opinion and it's mine. And um... <sighs> No, we're, we're not talking opinions. We're talking facts now, Lauren. There's no way five servings. That's like one spoonful per serving. <clears throat> we did get one um, anti-Brian email this time. You want to hear it? About what? I don't really know. Oh, God. Hang it on, was, It was really short, and it was from someone named Jonathan. Hopefully, it's not a Jonathan that we know, but it was just someone named Jonathan that said, Your show sucks, and Brian, you don't know shit about nothing. Okay. That was it. That's the whole email. I don't know shit about nothing. At which point I did I did respond to this email. I know I shouldn't engage with them, but I did write back, well, I do know what a double negative is. Uh, well, well, you know, I think that's the only really negative email we've ever had. So I ever tell you, but I once saw a guy wearing a T-shirt. It's a true story, Lauren. Guy had a t-shirt on that said, if you ain't a cowboy, you ain't shit. So I was trying to explain the concept of double negatives to him and how what he was saying is if you're a cowboy, you're literally shit. He didn't get it. Uh, Are you a cowgirl? No. You want to be a cowboy? No. (laughs) But it's just, I I can't even think about what episode that he would have listened to, to have that very strong opinion. Oh, it must have been all of them, because apparently I don't know shit about nothing. So he must have listened to all 130-some episodes. You've, you've angered somebody there, Brian. Apparently. I mean, he did say the show sucks, so I'm throwing you under the bus, too. He didn't just say Brian sucked, although he did say Brian don't know shit about nothing. Yeah, see, it's just the show sucks, and, and, and I, I apparently know things. Well, yeah, but but you know, and you know he's wrong because he didn't even comment on the ice cream, which means he probably agrees with you, and that means he's wrong. Mm, I mean, is it an email address you you recognize? No. Oh well. I'm not going to give it out on the on the show. That would be bad. Oh no, no, I'm not saying that. I I'm, I don't I don't want to know it. But um, well, I hope he's happy. You know, here's something I I don't know shit about shit, but i uh, got a question for you, Lauren. Oh, goodness. Here we go. Yes, what? If two vegans get in an argument, do they still call it a beef? <laughs> I have no idea. Let's not make fun of vegans. I'm not! Well, sort of. Okay, you want jokes that don't make fun of vegans? No, I don't want any jokes. <gasps> the audience loves the jokes. That's because you hold them hostage. Lauren. Brian. What did Yoda say when he first saw himself on a 4K camera? I don't know, Brian. HDMI. <laughs> Fair enough. <sighs> so I was at a job interview last week. No, you weren't. Yeah, I was. And uh, one of the questions they asked me in the interview is if, if I could perform under pressure. And I said, I don't think so, but I could probably sing Bohemian Rhapsody. <laughs> See, I knew it was a joke. One more. Yeah, okay. 
what do you call a, a bundle of hay in church? I don't know. Christian Bale. <laughs> you really don't like these jokes, do you? You want to talk about vegans some more? No, not really, because um, I don't want to annoy vegans. No, they're scary when they get mad. Yes. You know why they're so angry? You don't want to say it, do you? I I know what you're going to say. Yeah, I won't say it then. But you know you thought it, and everybody listening thought the same thing. So anyway, Lauren, it is officially February. How do you feel about the shortest month of the year and the month of Valentine's Day? Um, I just can't believe it's February already. I know. Um, That was a bit scary. We've just, you know... Flown through the first month of the year. Though everybody seems to say that January goes on forever. I don't find that. No. Uh, it flew by this year. Yes. I mean, I'm happy that it's February be- only because um, I think the, the next season of Mandalorian starts March 1st. That's pretty much how I'm judging time now. Mm-hmm. I love Mando. Now, what does it have a premiere date in the UK yet, or is it coming out March 1st there, too? Um, I think it's. I. Uh, to, to be fair, Disney Plus is pretty much um, the same. We have the same Disney Plus as you guys. Disney Plus is just generic Disney Plus. And you have Disney Plus, right? I do. Yes. Uh, right. Yeah. I gotta say this because I watched a movie recently that I haven't seen in many, many years, and it's available on Disney Plus. And any Disney Plus subscriber should go watch this, even if they've seen it before. Probably most of you haven't, but. One of the most underrated science fiction films of all time is on Disney+. Plus. Now, you can watch The Black Hole. Have you ever seen The Black Hole? Yes. You, granted, okay, the science doesn't really hold up, but it's a great movie. And do you know what else they have on there? The Cat from Outer Space. <laughs> Not one of the mm-hmm. best science fiction films ever, but it was the next recommended film Disney Plus gave me after watching The Black Hole. So I watched it. Did you enjoy it? Uh, well, yeah, but, you know, I've been on a lot of medications for being sick, so that could have had something to do with it. Well, Fuck, can't talk, though. No. It is a fun movie. Now this goes to the black hole. Did you not like the black hole? You kind of said that, like you were poo-pooing it. Oh, no, I just think there are better science fiction films, like Flight of the Navigator. <sighs> black hole. You get to see Anthony Perkins get, like, torn up by a giant robot. I mean, you don't see the blood or anything, but you see him get killed. So the giant robot kills Norman Bates. Does that make you happy? Kind of. I mean, they they, they, they kill off a lot. It's a Disney movie that came out in the 70s, and they're like, you know, it's really dark. It's like the darkest Disney movie ever made, I think. Mm. Plus, the movie ends in hell, which is really odd for a Disney film. Well, I, I don't know. Um, Hades is in a Disney film, isn't he? Not in 1978, he wasn't. Like if I remember Hercules, Hades is in Hercules. So, you know, they go to... Duh, did Hercules have Ernest Borgnine in it? Mm. All right. I also watched 2001 the other day for the first time in a long time. Would you consider that one of the best science fiction films ever? Yeah. There's a great scene in that movie that I think a lot of people overlook where he's on the flight to the moon at the beginning. 
and he goes to use the bathroom, and there's actually an instruction panel on the wall of how to use the bathroom in zero gravity. And nowhere on that instruction manual does it say the bathroom buddy. Of course it wouldn't. Why not? Well, I mean, there are there were signs in Swansea University telling people how to use the toilet. Well, um, in perfect future world, bathroom buddy should be there. Yeah. Wait a second. Whoa, 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 whoa. Back the fuck up. Did you just say there were signs in Swansea University on how to use the shitter? Yeah. I okay, don't know. What, how do you get to college not knowing how to poop? I, I don't know. I don't know what had gone on, but it was there. What were the instructions? Do you remember? Just the right way to sit on the toilet. <laughs> Is there a wrong one? Well, yeah, I guess you could sit backwards on it, which would actually be kind of cool because then, like, the toilet would be like a shelf or, like, you could put a tray of food down. Mm. I don't know what had gone on there, but it was quite sad. I, I did I did despair. They have to instruct college students in Swansea how to go to the bathroom. Mm-hmm. Oh, boy. I, you're not talking like... You know, you must wash hands before leaving bathroom. Not like a sign like that. We're talking like actually. No, it, it was a, it was a it was a sign with pictures on it instructing you how to use the toilet. Mm-hmm. So picture book, just in case they couldn't read. Oh well, yeah. Oh, you were going to defend that and say you wouldn't. No, no, I was going to make a comment. Read, I was going to make a comment about. Um, sports science students and then i thought no that's mean (laughs) um can you go and get a picture of these signs not anymore because um i can't well i'm not i'm not at the university anymore well go by the university and say oh i gotta go to the loo you know use it as an excuse like i'm just passing by and i gotta drop a deuce so uh (laughs) let me use your toilet yeah I want to see these signs. It was it was horrible, though, going to university in COVID because I never really got to use the library. I had to order my books online and collect them. I never got in and looked on the shelves. And it was quite sad. Yeah, but on the plus side, the bathrooms are relatively empty. So the people who didn't know how to use them properly weren't there. Yeah, well, maybe they were. No, you'd have noticed. There'd have been some telltale signs, Lauren. Oh, it's all a bit grim, really, isn't it? We haven't done a paddle show in a while. No, we're going to have to. <laughs> she says yawning. It's twenty to ten at night. I'm tired. I know. So why don't you go on to a, a, a give me a good clear your throat. Give me a good day in history. Today in history. <laughs> Ooh, I like that one. All right, what you got for me, Lauren? Right. Um, so my today in history, in honor of me getting a proof of Alison Weir's new book, I'm sticking with that time of history. So today, the 1st of February, 1587, Elizabeth I of England signs the death warrant of Mary, Queen of Scots. And uh, how'd that go? Well, she died. Mary, <laughs> Queen of Scots died. <laughs> Yeah, and in conclusion, she died. And in conclusion, yeah, she snuffed it. Wow, that's a nice cheery, cheery day well, in history. You know, I mean, yeah, come on. I mean, well, I, I couldn't help that it was that date, and I just thought, oh, 
you know, it's the first show since I had that proof, and I thought, I'll get it in, I'll sneak it in there. Yeah, couldn't you come up with something more happy, like, you know, like a plague or, um, you know, plague. <laughs> an orphanage fire or uh, <laughs> you know, well, something I happy? Mean, I mean, it was judicial. Mary, Queen of Scots, was found guilty of treason. She probably wasn't really guilty. She got she allowed herself to be set up because she was behaving a bit dodgy. I went along with some dodginess. So they killed her. Yes. So is this the kind of story like you told like your nephews when they were little kids, like his bedtime stories? And then they cut her head off. Theo would like a story like that. You know, Theo. You know, everyone always writes in about Lauren reading bedtime stories. I don't think that's such a good idea. Um, well, I mean, I mean, Mary Queen of Scots was, wasn't a, uh, she was a very difficult person. So they killed her. She didn't make life easy for herself. And she, I don't think that she did commit treason or do but I, I think she was set up. I don't think the plot she joined was true. They were just setting her up. Um, and she took the bait. And, and then she died. And then she was executed. Yeah. Well, she didn't just die. We... She was she was she was executed as a criminal. And that's what people forget. It's like Mary Gina Scotts was found guilty of something and she was executed as a criminal. And again, you know, that's what people forget about high high profile figures figures like Anne Boleyn. You know, they were they were found guilty of something. They were executed. You know, it was just the same as being hanged. Remember the hung monks? Yeah, yeah, hanged. Yeah. Um, but <sighs> well, can I go into my day in history? Now that we're all depressed. Gone. All right. Well, uh, I don't think we should be depressed. Well, then they killed her. I don't I know. Stories like that, Brian. Lauren and her execution bedtime stories. Anyway. I'm deadly with her. Well, actually, that isn't the worst execution story I know. Oh. I know, I know, I know more. I know you... horrible ones. Well, I, know, on that note. I know somebody. I know somebody in history. No, I don't know. I don't know them personally, but I've read about them. Um. Who was boiled alive for poisoning somebody? They do. Did they like make soup? No, uh, it, it, it just... was a, it was like it was a whole. It, no, they didn't make soup out of him. They didn't eat him. He, but he was boiled alive. Two people um, in British history were were boiled for okay, that's a poisoning. Way of execution. Yeah, we were inspired by the Spanish Inquisition. I mean, it's not as fucked up as like you know the the where they would sit the person on top of a pyramid with weights on, so that it would go up there, took us and kill him. We didn't do that. No, you just boiled people alive. Yeah. Yeah, we you're the humane society. <laughs> we, right. Yeah, we had the stamp of approval. <laughs> and an uh, oversized cauldron that was just sitting there, not being used. Yeah, and I just like, what can we do with that? We can fuck somebody up. Yeah. That's what we can do with that. Speaking of fucking people up, that's my day in history. 
Today in history. Today. Today in history, February 1st, 1809, Dutch King Louis Napoleon, or as I like to call him, Lulu Napoleon, <laughs> accepts the metric system. Fucked everything up. You know what? America, we still don't use it. What, what? You use the Imperial, don't you? We're the last metric holdout. No deck of bullshit for us. Even Canada's metric. So, like, when we cross the border, all of a sudden it goes for miles to kilometers and we find ourselves speeding. Well, we kind we well, like we use the metric system, but um, um, but like it, we still have road signs that say miles. Do you know there's the, the, the only thing that uses the metric system in America is uh, science. The scientists use the metric system because they have to because the rest of the world uses it. Not America. Don't you be taking my inches away, motherfucker. Well, it's kind of like interchangeable here. We yeah we use inches and feet and yeah but you weigh people by stones which I kind of like because I'd be a lot less stones than I am pounds and that would make me happy. Mm, but I mean inches and centimeters kind of like interchangeable. It's very easy to work out. Not in America, it's not. Do we bringing that centimeter shit around my place? Well, don't your rulers have both? Like on one yeah, side. Yeah, fuck those rulers. Then. Only look at one side of them. Goddamn woke rulers. <laughs> Trying to force me into centimeters. <laughs> Brought here by the Democrats. Yeah, damn demon crats trying to make me use centimeters. We're going to have to talk about that soon on the show, Lauren. I don't like to get political, but they're really, really starting to get obsessive about, like, banning books here. Yeah, I've seen. I, and I um... It's a topic that's like, you know, right in your wheelhouse. So I'm going to set up a show on that coming up soon. Um, have they, I, I bet you one book they've not banned because they're using it as an inst- instruction manual is Handmaid's Tale. You know, they love that one. <laughs> yeah, one day you're going to wake up and America's going to be called Gilead. And I'm going to be like, well. America will never be called Gilead because it's too close to Gilligan. Although I would like to live in the land of Gilligan. That'd be pretty sweet. But we're not going to talk Gilligan today. We're going to talk about another classic TV show. And do you know what show that is, Lauren? No, 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 Batman. Yes. So, we gathered up Super Bat Fan. And I'm talking, this is like one of the greatest Bat fans ever. In the great wrestling manager and legend and historian and author Nikita Brezhnikov. And also a comic book historian, Darren McDonald, known on YouTube as FizzFop1. We're going to bring him on, and we're going to nerd out on Batman, Lauren. What you think about that? You think I should fire up that magic interview box? I think you should. It's the magic interview box. To the yeah. Batcave, you can flip the switch. Oh, Lauren, am I excited about today, because I get to be uber nerd again and we are going to talk about one of my favorite things in the entire world the one and only batman tv series the only batman that really counts is adam west and i i I, i'm hitting a home run already lauren are you excited i am very excited i am a batman fan myself you are a batmaniac 
But are you as much of a bat maniac as the two guests I got tonight? Because returning to the show from YouTube superstardom, the one and only legendary historian comic book maestro, Darren, Mr. Fizzfop One McDonald. How are you, Darren? Doing great. Thank you for inviting me to be here. I tell you what, when you mentioned you were going to do the Batman TV show, I started thinking about it, and I think the Batman TV show may have been the very first TV show I can remember anything about. Like, I vaguely remember being like a toddler and seeing Star Trek and Batman, and that's what I remember as a little bit. Well, I know, I'm sure you remember a lot more about it now, but I don't know if any of us know as much about the iconic Batman as our returning champion. Author, actor, wrestling manager, and historian, the one and only legendary Nikita Brezhnikov. Welcome back, Captain Batman fan Brezhnikov. Thank you, my good friend. It's a pleasure and an honor to be speaking of such a great man as Adam West, Batman. The Batman. Let's all agree to that now. Yes. Oh, yes. No feedback from Darren on that one? Because I know you're, you're old school comic book. I'm old school comic. I mean, I love Michael Keaton as Batman and some of the other people have done it. Val Kilmer as Batman. But uh, no, uh, Adam West is always first in my heart. And Lauren, I know, loves the 60s Batman series. I do, yes. Which is, that's where I want to start. Because Lauren is over in Wales. She grew up in the UK and Wales. How big was Batmania there? And you're from a two generations removed from the show's premiere, and yet you're still a fan. How big was it there? Um, I think it was through my parents that I watched it. And it was rerun um, early mornings on a TV channel. So it was sort of run along the same time as cartoons. So for us, it was pretty much aimed at children it was part of the children's programming well i got into it as a child i know darren before we started recording said it's the first show he remembers nikita what about you you're slightly older than the rest of us but you were still a child slightly older and absolutely within that brain development childhood which was like superhero and it was like wow we never saw it as a comedy all we saw was, wow, Batman. It was too cool. So, yes, without a doubt. Uh, let's see, 66, I was 10. So, yeah, it was about that, about 10. Yeah. No, not even quite 10. Holy moly. Seven. Oh, geez. Wow. Unbelievable. Holy age gap, Nikita. Yes. Yes. So that was like, man, it. It was, and it still is, lives in my head and lives in my heart. You know, I didn't get to see it in color because we didn't have black and white. Or we had black and white. We didn't have color television. I didn't get to see it in color till the movie came out. That was orgasmic. It was like, <laughs> oh, wow, this is crazy. And all four villains, too much. And it was orgasmic because of the joy, not because of Lee Merriweather's Catwoman, which ah, yes, if you were sure. slightly yeah, older. That <laughs> so, yes. Absolutely. Well, that's that's the wonderful thing about it. Is, Catwoman costume was just an added bonus. Oh, <laughs> oh, yeah, it was. Sorry, Lauren, we're being sexist pigs. That's okay, I forgive you. <laughs> but the great thing about this show, 
was when we were all kids and we watched it, that action adventure of Batman. I wanted to be Robin. As a little kid, I had a little Robin costume made up, and I ran around the house fighting crime. That's right. You have the Robin costume. That's right. Yeah, and then as a teenager, the show took on a whole new feel for me, literally and figuratively, with the costumes on Julie Newmar and Eartha Kitt, and of course Yvonne Craig, and some of the malls. We'll get into that in a little bit. And then as an adult, it takes on a whole nother feeling of the whole nostalgia of both of those periods of my life. So this series lives on in all the stages of our lives without losing any of its luster. Is it the same for you guys, or is that just me? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I just got done spending uh, some money to buy more figures and more setups. <laughs> so, yes, without a doubt. Now, Darren is his channel on YouTube, folks. you got to check it out, FizzFop1. If you're a fan of comic books and history, it is just the best channel on all of YouTube. And you've done episodes about batman comics the batman serials the batman tv show you did a trivia contest which i didn't take part in because we would have destroyed the audience with that but your fan base the diehard comic book fan base how do they react to the the 66 through 68 series when i've talked with them about batman 66 they uh, almost everybody loves it you know that's that was one of the gateways to where People, especially in our age group, where they discovered superheroes, usually the first thing that they ever experienced was the Batman TV show before they saw a comic book or before they saw the other movies and stuff, especially in our age group. And then I run into people who are younger who just discovered Batman 66. You know, they see it for the first time. and They go, wow, that was so mind blowing. That I wanted to point out is that the younger generations that come along. They're always wowed by new special effects and new digital things and blah, blah, blah. And everything gets better and better and better. But yet I've never talked to a kid who didn't love Batman when they first saw it as a kid. No matter how dated you could claim it is, it's still magical to everybody. It's still You works. know, there's a there's an honesty and like, a, I, I don't know, a sincerity to it that new programs don't have. There's, there's sort of a, I don't know, a childlike quality to it that's just endearing. You know, it's it's truth and honesty and justice and brains over brawn. And it's even though they do end up in fight scenes and stuff. But, you know, uh, I was uh, watching something uh, prepping for this. And they were talking about how Adam West wanted the, uh, to come off more as a detective. Much like Sherlock Holmes, he was watching, he was inspired by uh, Basil Rathbone in the Sherlock Holmes movies, and that was his approach to Batman as an actor. And I think that's very endearing, and that's what audience, it comes off to audiences that way. The greatest detective of all time, you look it up on Google, Batman. And, you know, Lauren, I'd like to swing that to you, because you're like me, you love the old Basil Rathbone, Sherlock Holmes. I never saw that interview with Adam West where he said that, but put it together, but you could see it in his delivery and his mannerisms. It's total Basil Rathbone. It is. Um, now that you think about it, the way that he speaks, the way that he composes himself is, is definitely a homage to Basil Rathbone. Even the obsessive, perfect posture. <laughs> and a mannerism of speech. Yes. Without a doubt. You know, it's weird. 
I'll look at it, and I think it's two different characters. Bruce Wayne and Batman, two different people. He plays it so well, Adam West does. It does differentiate. It's really spot on. You know, that's really cool you say that, because we always talk about the Batman movies, and Michael Keaton comes in as Batman, and it's like, wow, Michael Keaton was a great Bruce Wayne, but he was only okay as Batman. And then Val Kilmer was, like, really good as Batman, but he was a lousy Bruce Wayne. And then Ben Affleck was kind of iffy on all of them. You know, Clooney with great Bruce Wayne, lousy Batman. Adam West was perfect at both. A great depiction of a philanthropist and playboy, if you want, because he could do that as well. But he was more of a good guy. You know, he was there for the community as well as not just he was rich, but still he was giving. So that gave us a nice, clean message. And see, back then, you know, the the reason the failure, of course, when they cut the budget and then they cut the timing. But it, it was standard. They, the villain would commit the crime. The commissioner would get notice, call Batman. He responds to the office. And then we have the death trap in the middle. We like that. We were that was normal to follow. When they deviated, then it gets confusing. Like the great Nikolai Volkov used to tell me about wrestling. Don't make things complicated. People cannot follow it. They love to just you know, they want to be entertained, but don't make them think. And that's what it was. We knew what was gonna happen. We love not know what was gonna happen, but we liked that format and it followed through perfectly. But you know, for the adults, it was sexual. When you see it years later, it's like they had some really good-looking gals on there before oh. Von Craig. But take a look at something. Now, my wife, Victoria, has done costuming. That purple outfit that Yvonne Craig wore, it started in the Ring of Wax with the Riddler's Mall. Mall. Yes. She had that purple setup. And then Kathy Gersh in the Joker episode. She was wearing a, a, almost exactly the same. It did show a woman's curves without a doubt, and it was stunning in color. And see, I think there were sequins. I'm not good with costumes, but it was like that was a great looking outfit. Yeah, that was Linda Scott as yeah. Moth. Heir uh, to tell us, Brian, heir to the Scott toilet paper. Yeah. Revolution. No and she, it was the exact outfit just without the emblem on it yep. that she wore and that was in season one i think so they kept it yep. and said two years later which is that leads me to believe someone kept that costume that she wore for two years there was a little something sexual behind the scenes too <laughs> so, well in season two with the jeweled key of kane cardine this kathy gersh played the joker's mall she wore looked like the same one yeah so that was uh you know it worked and look it's always money. I, I watched something a couple of weeks ago with Dozier talking about the money, and he said we were getting killed on it. We were, it cost too much to make. They had to wait for the reruns and syndication to make their money back. So he's like, we had to cut the budget, and so they were reusing things. And when you watch episodes, you'll see like the Catwoman. There's everything. How many times do we see that bust of the Joker reappear as the mayor <laughs> and all kind of it's like they reuse the props. They got to save the money. It's just the way it is. I love that Burt Ward and Adam West actually had to go and have their own costumes made when yeah. they were touring, doing the uh, appearances mm -hmm. because there was only two each for them. 
on the set. So they had to go out and have their own maid so they could go out and do all those appearances for money. But uh, I can remember the first time at a um, uh, auto show when I was a little kid and his costume, I noticed he was in costume. His costume wasn't the same from the TV show. And that jumped out at me that it looked a little shabby compared to what you saw on television. Yeah. Because he had to have that made. It was close, but yeah, it probably some kind of copyright nonsense. You know, lawyers got to make their money. So it's like, you got to be careful. Don't copy it too exact. You'll have a letter coming in the mail to you. Yeah. If you're making money off of it, uh, don't make it exact. Yeah. Where's my cut? Give me my piece. Oh, yeah. You know, that reminds me, there's a great story that when totally off Batman topic, but another classic series. When Gilligan's Island was canceled, and it was, you know, huge in reruns forever and ever and ever, Alan Hale, who was retired at the time, would dress up as the skipper and go to children's hospitals unannounced, no cameras, no media, no nothing. This is what he would do in his spare time. He would go to children's hospital in the skipper outfit to go to visit all the kids and call them little buddy and tell them that, you know, skipper's here for them. Nice. And the studio found out and tried suing him for the copyright. Sherwood Schwartz got wind of it and said, oh, hell no. I'm signing the rights to that character over to him. Because I own it, not you. Very good. Very good. But back to the Batman. I'm going to go back to the beginning and be the nerdy narrator. Because in 1965, Lorenzo Semple Jr. and William Dozier came up with a crazy idea. We're going to take this comic book icon. Put him on your TV sets. Put him in the living rooms of America, not once, but twice a week. I mean, who does that even now? Brilliant. And we're not only going to make it a comic book show. Yeah, sorry to interrupt. You know, at the time it was a bold move because uh, uh, about uh, less than, uh, it was just a few short years before, I think like six or seven years when uh, George Reeves had died playing Superman and, and people had, it was almost like a national day of mourning for anyone under the age of 12. Yeah. And uh, so putting a superhero on and doing it again, they actually thought when Superman ended like that, they actually thought that it would, they would never see another TV superhero again. And, and, you know, by, by the way the television works, there probably shouldn't have been for at least 20 years. But they come up with this idea, and they say, we're not only going to make it for kids, the action, adventure, and the colorfulness, except for Nikita, who was watching it on black and white. But we're also going to make it a comedy that adults will get the comedy. So, the you know, if adults are forced to watch something with their kids, they hate it usually. But if we can give something for the parents, we'll get double the viewership. That's what Pixar is brilliant with. Pixar is filled with so many jokes that only the adults watching their films will get that they don't mind taking their kids to those films. It's brilliant. And that's what Batman did. And then it's 1966. Things are getting a little more freer and risque. Let's add the sexual element. And it worked. And it passed the censors. Some of the things I can't believe passed 1966 television censors. Especially season three with, like, Eartha Kitt rubbing on herself as as Catwoman. I mean, a black woman on television in the 60s sexualizing and rubbing on her own body, and it got through? 
I just watched last week the episode where Batman's in the alley with Catwoman and she wants him to kiss her. And they were talking about the effects of the voice eraser. She says, you just have him spray the atomizer and it will tighten them right back up again. And it's like, holy shit. Can you believe they got away with that? It's yeah. like, man, we know what they're talking about. Kids didn't, but it was like, wow. And then she's like, mm, well, okay, you can kiss me now. And I was like, well, yeah, you know, I, I think pe- I understand that people kiss almost every day. Okay, okay. And it's like, <laughs> man, that was just absolutely great. One of the greatest scenes of the whole thing. You had to love it. And so, they, were e- they were equal in height. That was great, too. Yeah, Julie Newmar, uh, over six foot tall. I always call her Amazon-esque because she was just, you know, six, what was, I think six one officially, but of yes. perfection. And he was six two, so they were right there. It was very close, yes. You know, and she was a dancer, and she she had the body of a dancer. So she, and she I saw an interview with her where she said, you know, she kind of changed the original costume. She moved the belt from the, from the hip from the from the waist to the hips to accentuate the curves and you know because she was a six foot one dancer (laughs) of course she accentuated it well like she said the costume was perfect it was black which for women takes 10 pounds off of them and it was skin tight and so it was sleek and so she was able to move like a cat surprised they didn't well the original she didn't have a tail in the comic but Surprised they didn't give her one to play with, but the whip was good. The whip was very good. The whip, the well, yeah. Especially what when you, you think of that, the, Lauren. Women with a whip, a woman with a whip, making men stand at it like her cats. She would slash that whip, and they would jump and say, "What do you need, ma'am?" It's like, unreal. I think that's amazing. Yeah, <laughs> you like that. I, was, I always thought that the whip was very much needed with Catwoman because it sort of was the replacement for the tail. Yeah, it, you, you have know, to have something. I had to have yeah, a, and if a you, prop. If a cat bashes you with its tail, you know it wants something, and you better do what it says, or otherwise it'll eat you when you die. <laughs> yeah, uh, my remembers they brought that whip back for uh, Michelle Pfeiffer uh, when the movie's back in the 90s there with her, too. Yeah, it had sort of an S&M feel to it. Yeah, and, you know, it, it was funny. The Michelle Pfeiffer Catwoman, we'll, we'll venture off into that for a second. They made it far more obvious S&M with the leather costume. She even makes some S&M jokes, whereas it wasn't to me as sexy as the Julie Newmar, you know, like her Catwoman. That was just, you had to put it together. Now, with the three, yeah. I'm going stick with the, I'm going to stick with the original. With the three Catwomen, it all worked. They worked. Because I don't see Julie Newmar doing what Lee Merriweather did in the movie as Kitka. I think Lee Merriweather was perfect. And then for the third season, Eartha Kitt, I mean, the way that woman could recite French, oh, she was hypnotic. It, I mean, and when they did the part with the Joker, her and the Joker reading the French on the back of the crib upside, it's like, wow. Well, you know, she was fluid in French, but her pronunciation, it was like, this is incredible. She could roll the tongue, man. Unreal. Yeah. There's a story about her, too. I Go. won't get political, but the Johnsons hated her because she, oh, yeah. she stung Ladybird one time and she was right with what she said. And that kind of started to shake her career. So, oh, yeah. So I love her. She did it. Yes. 
Yeah, she pissed off Ladybird at the White House. And she actually is the first one to sing Santa Baby. Hers was the original version. Oh, we all love her, the kid. Yes, without a doubt. Now, the casting of this show is amazing. Because Adam West somehow instinctively knew what they wanted. And, you know, there were everybody was up for that role. And everyone's seen, I mean, all the bad fans have seen, like, the Lyle Wagner test film. Very handsome, very dynamic, great leading man. But he didn't have that, I don't know what you want to call it. It wasn't tongue-in-cheek, but Adam West, you could tell he instinctively knew what they were looking for when he read those words. Frank Worsham said, he said, you got, he had to walk a line. It's like, you could be stupid if you're not careful. You could be over the top. He said, but he was like razor's edge. He was perfect with it. Zoom. He was a, just a marksman with the thing. Yeah, I think Adam West had a huge advantage on the role because um, the producer Dozier had seen him make commercials. And he said, I want that character from the commercial. And he knew exactly from the start. And if you get a chance, anybody who really is a big Batman fan, you have to watch those uh, screen tests they did with Adam West and uh, uh, Lyle Wagner. Or Lyle Wagner? Yeah. Yeah. No? Yeah, Carol Burnett's Lyle Wagner. It's him. Yeah. Yeah. And you can see the difference. There's there's like uh, a huge amount of energy in those screen tests for Burt Ward and Adam West. And there's also, they're nailing the characters right off the bat where I don't think uh, the other two actors had that opportunity. Now, Lauren, as a little girl watching Batman, did you have a crush on Batman or Robin? Because Robin was supposed to be the heartthrob to the kids, but every girl I know said, they always tell me that growing up watching it, next to Captain Kirk, Batman was the most handsome man on television. They all love Shatner. (laughs) But what about you? Was it it Batman or Robin? Who did you think was the cutie? Um, Neither, really really yeah i don't remember having a crush on either of them you were a joker girl weren't you Ah! or king tut (laughs) (laughs) well well, it could have been worse it could have been calendar man yeah (laughs) but you didn't have a you didn't think batman was dreamy not really no wow did you think captain kirk was dreamy no, really, no. Good. You were more of a Doctor Who girl, weren't you? Um, girl, uh, no, Star Trek came first before Doctor Who. She's right. Yeah, but well, okay. So, I'm not big on either one, but she's right, yes. Now, Burt Ward, or Burt Jervis, as his real name was, gets cast as Robin, and he is literally a nobody. I mean, Nobody. He, he he lands this role, and he got paid like a nobody, too, by the way. He got paid way less than Aunt Harriet, by the way, just in case you're wondering. 350 a week, I think, is what he got paid, something along those lines. Yeah, it, it, it was. For television at that time. It was SAG minimum wage, yeah, for a weekly series, right? But what do you think about his what he brought to the role of Robin? Because he plays Robin as this wide-eyed, naive teenager who can kick the shit out of these adults. He was good in the first season. You, the innocence was there. 
and as he's holding a, a model airplane and, you know, as the, the our first scene of him. And it's like, you get it. He's a kid. He's the boy wonder. He's only supposed to be like 14. So that was good. Then it started to become like he's too much of a young adult by season two, two which was OK. It didn't take a it didn't diminish it for me, but it was like he was more boy wonder in season one by season three he's driving and he's basically kind of running the show almost on his own yeah and in season three he got to be tied in the human knot with with bad girl yeah now i regret till this day and i i did never had an opportunity although i was at many shows with wrestling i'd never had an opportunity to meet yvonne craig i hear she was a sweetheart I, I probably would have made a fool of myself and said you were my first crush and whatever she needed, I would have attempted to like a faithful servant for her. But I never had the chance to meet her. I regret it. Did you, Darren? Did you ever meet her? Uh, you know what? No, I never got to meet her either. I, I knew of maybe a couple of uh, uh, collectors type shows she went to signing autographs, but I never got the opportunity to meet her. Oh. I never did either, and uh, I, that's one that I would have loved to have met and talked to, because like you, she was one of my earliest crushes, but how could she not have been? And another dancer. Another dancer, exactly. Right. Another Star Trek alum, too. Yes. Oh, yes. She was hot for a while there on television. She was guest starring all of Love American Style just about on anything. And her career really goes all the way back to Dobie Gillis and things like that. And it's like, wow, she was around. It's Batman was her only guest co-starring thing. That was it. Now, to round up the main cast of regulars there. There was some interesting casting, and we'll go over this part real quick because everybody knows the interesting stuff is the villains. But you got Neil Hamilton as Commissioner Gordon, solid actor who really nailed the role. What I mean, did you guys have a problem with his portrayal of Commissioner Gordon? Not at all. No, actually, he played commissioners in other TV shows. He played sort of authoritative figures or whatever, so he had that nailed before he ever walked onto the set. He was now, old at the time, because if you get now that you watch on Blu-ray, you get a close up of his hands. He certainly had the age spots and because they don't put makeup on your hands. But uh, it's like he, he had some time on by then, but he was a boob, but an intelligent boob, you know, so it, it was good. He played it well. Then he got uh, Stafford Rep as Chief O'Hara, which I love because it was the stereotypical Irish New York cop, which is not a stereotype you ever see anymore. But anybody who's, I guess, our age will remember that as a typical stereotype that younger generations might not get. And that was an added character, not part of the comic. No. But it was like, OK, it worked. He, he, You had to have him after the first show. He was great. He did add a good bit of comic relief. Madge Blake as Aunt Harriet, um, who, you know. There's one, there's a two, one, two parter that she is the main part of. Uh, we'll get into that because I love those two episodes. But you know, she was serviceable. You know, she was a solid actress with a great resume. Why did she end up doing that show? Do you think? Hey, day, they get a job. Well, you know, well, if you look at 
the cast, like going through the list of villains, I, I can't start telling you how many Oscar nominations and Tony Award winning actors are in that. I mean, it, there were some these people could have a lot of them had op- opportunities to be doing other movies or other projects. You know? Well, yeah, exactly. but none of them got paid a lot. They got the standard SAG weekly pay. And they said uh, in any of the interviews, we didn't make a lot of money. But we did it for the prestige, because especially if you had kids, they wanted you to be on Batman. And it's like and it was fun. How else can you get paid to have this much fun? Like like Burgess Meredith said one time that you you were able to they wanted you to do the one thing you're told not to do. Overact. Ham it up. Or Cesar Romero said that. Go be goofy. Do whatever you want. Standing in line, Batman parts. There were a lot of them like Frank Sinatra was begging to be on there as a villain. Yes, Sinatra wanted to, them to replace Romero with him as the Joker. And they yeah. said, no. Mm-hmm. You said no to Frank Sinatra in 1967? That's balls. That's why they came up with the window cameo to squeeze more in. It's like, what else are we going to do? We we got too many people, and, and we got to write for so many characters already. Put them in the damn window while they're climbing the walls, pop out, and that's the end of it. Boom and get celebrities in there and they were promoting other TV shows on the network and all sorts of things. It was just a brilliant bit. Yeah, and everybody wanted to do it. Well, they liked to promote their own network, like when Lurch popped out the window for the Adams family, but when the Clink came out the window, it's like that's usually that's like uh, crossing the line. That's almost like giving away military secrets, but they still did it. It worked. It was okay. It, it was great when when Lurch popped out. The Clink one I wasn't such a big fan of. But yeah. then, I think it's because when I first started watching Batman, I thought Hogan's Heroes was stupid. And you hear the harpsichord playing before, and it's like, well, you know who's going to pop out the window. This is a good giveaway, but it was nice. And my God, they tried with the Green Hornet, but it just wasn't going to make it. No, uh, that yeah. the writing was just not there. And a half hour, it's tough. It really is tough. <laughs> You know, one of the things with the Green Hornet was they, they handicapped themselves because they were using old radio scripts. And I'm not sure what it was, but when they did the, the Seth Rogen movie or whatever a number of years ago, uh, they were still using radio scripts. They were converting radio scripts hmm. from that. And I don't know if there's some sort of contractual reason for that or what, but. I don't I know. Think Greenway owned it, lock, stock, and barrel, so there shouldn't have been any hangups with that. But yeah, and of course, Bruce Lee that made him, even though he was already world famous before, but unknown in America. But it was like boom. And I'm in Seattle these days, and he's from Seattle, so it was it's a big deal now, and it was a big deal then, but it didn't really catch on. And well, I love that in a lot of other countries. The Green Hornet was number one in the ratings, and it was called The Cato Show because Lee was such an international star. And it was called The Cato Show. Very good. Now, this one I'm, I'm sending out a special for Lauren because the most accomplished actor of the main cast was Alan Napier as Alfred Pennywise, who was notable for being in not one two of the biggest Shakespearean productions in film history. I mean, he was in the Orson Welles version of Macbeth and the Brando Julius Caesar. Lauren, do you think he was miscast as Alfred Pennywise? Pennyworth. Pennyworth. That's right. I was Pennyworth, thinking. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, no, I, I don't think so, because um, if you think about who played Alfred um, in the 80s and the 90s, he was an accomplished Shakespearean actor in yeah. his own right. So I think it's kind of right that it was that, because it he would have been able to bring what international audiences assumed to be Britishness to the role, because he was playing Britishness, which is Shakespeare and blah, blah, blah. And he was great, wasn't he? Yeah, he was. Oh, yes, yes. And he was Batman's Batman. So the various storylines, though, he raised Bruce Wayne. So when you like when the penguin kidnaps Alfred and you could see when Bruce Wayne gets or Batman gets the call from the commissioner. And it's a great job by Adam West of being hit with a brick. It's like, Batman, did you hear what I said? And it's like, yes, commissioner, we'll be right. And it's like, wow. You could see it just brought him to his knees. Geez, they got Alfred. What the hell? I, I got to get there. We got to find him. It was great. It, it made you feel it. Of course, the wonderful thing about that episode, I'm going to throw it all to you right now. Just well, I know Nikita will get this right. How did they manage to kidnap Alfred? It was one of my favorite ways a villain got someone <laughs> ever. Do you remember, Darren? Uh, it's all running together right now. I can't think of it. Our, uh, Alfred went to buy discount caviar out of a giant barrel the caviar when he stuck his head the umbrella cloak because the penguins henchmen except for the tall guy that played the, the lobster man on voyage to the bottom of the sea they stuck the umbrellas and gas him and took him off so it was like that was cool and then of course they brainwash alfred and it, it was a great episode now julie Gregg playing the henchwoman well, she was a knockout, too. And she had a good career. I love uh, that he was going to buy the discount caviar. And he, I think he wanted to buy, what was it, like 120 pounds? Because he'll need a pound per person. <laughs> a pound per person. Yeah. Yes. And if it's all as good as this, I'll take it. And it's like, and they, and he, Victor London, he used, he was, well, spelled L-U-D-I-M, but pronounced London. He was the lobster man on Voyage to the Bottom of the Sea. He was a big guy. He was tall. I like caviar, but I don't think I could eat a pound of it. I don't think I've ever had it, and it doesn't look good. Too Lauren, much. could you eat a pound of caviar? I've had it once or twice. Oh, no, oh. I couldn't. Oh. No. Well, which reminds me, now that I have Darren and Nikita here, we've been getting a lot of emails on the show about something Lauren said in the last episode where our entire audience is calling bullshit on Lauren. So, Nikita and Darren, you can either defend or call bullshit on Lauren. I'll defend her. Well, you got to hear what she said first. We were talking about ice cream. And I said, you know, how many servings are there in a pint of ice cream? And she said five. <laughs> Depends on how you eat. Darren? For me, a container of ice cream lasts like five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> there you go. Five so servings. like two. A, a pint of ice cream has like two servings tops. Yeah, two servings tops. Lauren, do you want to clarify your statement? No, I don't. I stick by it. Now, if you're thrifty like I am, like Alfred was, it will last five. Trust me. I'll make it stretch. <sighs> All right. Well, next topic. 120 episodes of the show. 
And we had over 30, and most of these are two-parters, remember, and we had over 37 villains. But after 12, well, actually only 11 that made it to air were actually from the comic book. Mm. Want to play a little trivia and see if you guys can name the 11 that were actually from the comic book? Lauren, you can go first. Well, I'll start with King Tut. No! Is he not from the comic book? Oh, um, well, no, 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 she's right. He was. Yeah. Just not that kind, though. It was a different. But not until after the TV series. I do have a reference in this expensive book that I bought. There was a King Tut in the comics. There really was. But I thought that was after the series. Oh, I don't know. I, I do. I do remember seeing that, but. You know, originally it was like, no, there was nobody like King Tut. And, of course, it's a parody because he was not heavy like that. But it's like, okay. But it's funny. So it were And Victor Bono, who I love and anything he ever did, is just fantastic. So I yeah, look, Lauren, you get a half a point, but you're still getting called bullshit on the ice cream. Okay. Well, the Riddler, the Joker, the peng- Penguin, Catwoman. Um, All right, that's it for you. Now we got to go on to Darren. Darren, you're next. Can you name ones from the original comic book that made it to the show? Uh, Mr. Freeze. Yes. Uh, I'm trying to think who else was. uh, I can think of the ones that aren't in the comic book. Yeah, that's the easy. Hmm. That's the easy question. (laughs) Okay, Nikita, you're up. So that's five out of 11, right? Yep. Okay, so the Mad Hatter was. Yes. We had the Mad Hatter, and False Face basically was Two Face. Yes, False Face. Yeah, a little bit of a skew there, but they definitely did that. I believe the Bookworm. Nope. But he he wasn't in the comic, but there was some kind of other playoff they did of him. But it, it you know it was not the Bookworm. Uh, let me see. Zelda, I believe, was. Nope. But there was a version of her. Yes, after. And then, let's see, blah, 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 first season. Uh, I'm lost, too, then. All right. One is what we got the most email about from your last appearance, even though we only talked about Batman a little bit. Because people said one of the funniest things they ever heard on the show. In fact, one person told me they were angry that they spit hot chocolate out of their nose when you said it. Art Carney is the archer when you said, I'm watching TV as a kid. And I said, hey, that's fucking Norton. (laughs) (laughs) So the archer. I got him. That's good. The clock king. Oh, my. Clock king. It's okay. In rounding out the list. The Puzzler. Puzzler, yeah. And you know the story behind that. Mm. Now, there was one that was to be filmed that didn't... It was a script written, and it was already cast, but the show got canceled. And it was going to be played by Tim Herbert, who was actually one of the Riddler's henchmen called Whiskers. But he was going to play the Killer Moth. I've seen that. Oh, wow. That was yeah. Joey Tata, actually. Joey Tata. He he did play it. And he was in. He was Match. No, he wasn't Match. He was, uh, oh, what the hell was the other? There was Match and uh, 
Wick, I believe. Yeah, he was the shorter of the two in Ring of Wax, the two henchmen. He was the shorter of the Joey Tata. And he'd been around. He was a stuntman as well. He'd done a lot in Hollywood. So, Yeah, one of the things that was it was scripted that had been also written, I guess, was for a Two-Face script with uh, Clint Eastwood for, for a season four. And we wow. never got to see that. Hmm. Interesting. Now, Lauren, of those ones that we've just listed, all the original comic book ones, who was your favorite watching them as a kid? Um, the Joker. He's always my favorite. Cesar Romero's Joker. To me, and people laugh at me when I say this until they actually go and watch it, is the creepiest Joker they ever put in a film. Hmm. I know people loved Heath Ledger's Joker, which I thought was just a really bad Edward G. Robinson impression, but that's just me. Or the, the movie, The Joker, where he was maniacal and a killer. But if you go and watch Romero's performance, there's something about the makeup, the maniacal laughter and the wickedness in his eyes doing these horrendous things. There's something downright creepy about it. Mm-hmm. You get it. You can see the psychopath within the man, which, which is driving him to do these things. And he tries to mask it with the comedy and it throws people off. But yet he's going to skin you alive if he can. And I really mean the horrible way, not just some verb I'm using. He's going to skin you alive and sit there and eat an apple and watch it and enjoy it. Yeah, that's a good description of him. And the Riddler as well. He was a sick bastard. Okay, I loved him, though. Frank Gorshin was perfect with it. Yeah, well, let's stick with Romero just for one more moment, because this is like one of the original Latin lovers. I mean, this guy was an icon and a movie star. He was the fucking villain in Ocean's Eleven, not those remakes, the original one with the Rat Pack. I mean, you know, he was in The Thin Man. And there he is as this maniacal joke. Cisco Kid. Cisco Kid, exactly. Yes, Cisco Kid. And look at how long he goes on. When he went on to whatever that uh, show was, uh, not Knott's Landing, but the Falcon Crest. And they had him on a talk show. And the gal, the older gal that was one of the stars, was it uh, Reagan's wife or somebody like that? And she, they said, well, who do you want to play this guy? And she said, Cesar Romero. And when they had him on, they said, tell everybody your age, sir. And he's like, I'm 85. And even the women were still swooning in the audience. He looked good. They look damn good. Now, it's not off topic, but it kind of is, because it all ties into Batman in a way. There was a movie that was made in 1969, directed by a Batman alumnus, that had, I think, five Batman villains in it. And it was Otto Preminger's psychedelic movie, Skidoo. Hmm. Which, if you've never seen it, you must watch it. It's the only film you'll ever see where Groucho Marx smokes a joint and Jackie Gleason trips on acid. <laughs> it is an amazing film. But you got Frank Gorshin, Cesar Romero, Burgess Meredith, Otto Preminger directed it, who was, of course, Mr. Freeze, one of the Mr. Freezes. And Cesar Romero plays this mafia henchman with Frankie Avalon, who in 69 is at the height of the Frankie Avalon fame. And the two of them standing there and your eyes in this weird little film are just drawn to this tall Cesar Romero, who's so handsome that you forget Frankie Avalon standing next to him. I mean, that's it's screen presence. 
I actually saw Otto Preminger one time. He was in Baltimore for, I guess, to do a shoot. And I, I, I mean, I, I just saw he was walking with an entourage, a small one, and it's like, holy shit, there's Mr. Freeze. I didn't know whether to hit him with a chair or start running. I was like, wow. And he should have ran. Me. He looked like he always looked, except for the goofy face paint, but it was neat. It was kind of like, wow. Well, you know the story behind that, right? When he, I guess, starred. As the worst of the three Mr. Freezes, but that's okay. Well, I like his better than I like Eli Wallach's. But George Wagner, who directed The Wolfman, I believe was directing that episode. And, of course, Otto Preminger is trying to tell him, well, you know, I would do it like that. He said, well, you're not doing it like this. So just <laughs> relax. Just follow my direction and you'll be fine. Just listen to what I'm saying. This is my show. And it's like, yeah, that's tough. That's like having two managers on a field. That's, that ain't going to work. Yeah, it's like, Lauren, you quoted one time that I can't remember who you said said it, but they said the worst job in Hollywood was directing Orson Welles. Really? Because... He's the greatest director of all time. <laughs> oh, I can't remember who said that, but somebody did definitely say that because um, his attention to detail, well, he could see your mistakes before you could. Yeah. <laughs> I guess Alfred Hitchcock was probably just as bad then if you ever had him with anything because he was a legend. To, to let the audience know, we could see each other here. So when I mentioned Skidoo, Darren got a big smile on his face and started nodding. So I take it you've seen this film. It's a movie I've only read about. I've never gotten to see it yet. It's, it's yeah. It's wonderful. Um, That's all I can say. Well, look, it's also the entire score is done by Harry Nelson, who actually also plays a role in the film. It is just filled with every superstar of the time. Carol Channing is is Jackie Gleason's wife in the movie. Hmm. But there's a great story from the set about Preminger, because Preminger was a notorious bully of a director, and he hmm. liked to belittle and, like, beat his actors. And Groucho was a very sick, doddering old man at the time. It was one of the last things he'd ever done. And Jackie Gleason showed up on the set one day, and Otto Preminger had Groucho in a corner, like, screaming at him, threatening to hit him with his baton. Gleason pulled Preminger off of him, and apparently the quote is from people who were there, If I ever see you talk to Groucho like that again, or you do so much as look at me cross that I'm going to have you fucking killed. <laughs> I believe that. And they said he was sweet as could be the rest of the film. <laughs> Well, Ralphie, boy, wouldn't take much There's shit. a lot of horror stories. Oh, I was just, I was just saying again, we got a slight delay here. So, uh, yeah, Preminger was just notorious for a bully, and he, as you have actresses like bawling their eyes out, and he would just terrorize them on the set. And it's amazing that guy could even get a movie done. Yeah, but if Jackie Gleason threatened to kill you, you're taking it seriously. Oh yeah. So, of the three Mister Freezes, we talked about Eli Wallach and Otto Preminger, of course. Now, this is the amazing thing about this. All three Mr. Freezes, Otto Preminger was nominated for two Academy Awards. Like Darren said earlier, all these Oscars are associated with Batman. Eli Wallach won an honorary Oscar and a Tony and a Grammy Award. The third Mr. Freeze, a lot of people forget, is another Academy Award winner, George Sanders, who won the Academy Award for All About Eve in one of the greatest screen performances ever. That was my favorite of the three. Me too. Without a doubt. So yeah, I like 
George Saunders' performance, and of course he was hampered at that time by the hood, so the audio was garbled. That's why they got rid of that and came up with the jet nozzle collar. But I like he was able to make you understand I'm doing this because I'm miserable. My life is miserable just because of the way I have to live. And you're going to pay, Batman, because you did this to me, bastard. And it's like, well, wait a minute. You were the crook that was trying to come up with this bullshit idea. And it, you got spilled with the beaker, the instant freeze. So you started your own shit, you ass. But I still I liked his portrayal. And he had a presence. He was a big man. Unfortunately, he took his own life. And But he was in many, many films. He was a great actor. Very established. And I loved his accent. You could tell, like Otto Preminger, too, you know, Mr. Freeze was a German. You, you know, he came across with a slight, not thick, but a slight accent. So you understood a Dr. Schimmel, boom. And there's a, somebody who actually got their true name on screen. Like some of the other villains we know from the comics, but their names, their aliases were never mentioned. And that, that's the one reason I actually am one of the few people who defended Schwarzenegger as Mr. Freeze, because the Austrian accent worked for that character. Mm-hmm. And he yeah. was pining over his wife. <laughs> Let's go on to the Penguin. We got to talk about Burgess Meredith, because another one of the most accomplished actors mm. who I think was still on the Hollywood blacklist. Um, from film, at least for from the uh, House Unintel, uh, the House Un-American Activities Committee, uh, McCarthyism. But you know, he had that great run on the Twilight Zone, which Lauren, I know you love the Burgess Meredith Twilight Zones. But he you're comes on. muted again, Lauren. We can see you're muted. Sorry, I was just saying yes. I was nodding for some reason. I was just nodding along. I do love the Burgess Meredith Twilight Zone. I love the Twilight Zone in general. There is um, there's a channel that started showing them again over here, and they're just amazing. Along with the Alfred Hitchcock TV um, show as well, which is amazing. I I just watched it for the uh, New Year's Eve marathon on my own. I can't, I have my own set for the Twilight Zone, and I told the wife, I'm like, you don't see the Penguin. And we just watched the Penguin episode. You don't see Mr. Bemis. You don't see any of the characters. Nope. He's great. He's He's got it. He nails it. One of the things that's amazing about uh, Meredith is that his career just got, and he got better as he got older. And yes. As Decky does, does uh, Batman, he's doing Rocky movies, and he's stealing the show. He steals every scene he's in. And then the Grumpy Old Men movies. You know, he's like 90 years old in those movies, and he steals them. He was the ad-lib king, even in Batman. They said a lot of the things, like he's, when they came up with the line in the movie, be careful, every one of them has a mother. That was his. I was off the top of his head. Wasn't in the script. And it's like, that's good. Just leave it. Don't leave it go. That was perfect. So now we're going to move on. And also, I want to give huge credit, because anybody who thinks of Burgess Meredith as, as just the penguin or in his Twilight Zone roles as great as they are, go back and watch the original of Mice and Men with him and Lon Chaney Jr. Yeah. It doesn't break your heart in that film. I mean, he's brilliant. Yes. He Absolutely. So we mentioned Twilight Zone, so we got to go on to my favorite Twilight Zone episode of all time, uh, the Twilight Zone Christmas episode starring the one and only Art Carney. That's 
fucking Norton. As Nikita <laughs> <was saying. laughs> Thanks, I didn't realize that, Brian. I love it though. That fucking Norton. That's like I can't believe it. It it he did. He's another one. And you watch some of the shit that he's done over the years, the work, the work he's done over the years. There's a YouTube uh, uh, video when he was on Johnny Carson. He was a fucking nut, but funny. He's really over the top. He was just he, he was on his own planet. He was a great guy. And he brings the archer to the screen, which should have been such a horrible episode, such a stupid plot. The whole plot of that episode was terrible. And yet he is so fucking good in it. You can't take your eyes off the episode to lead into season two. That's right. What the hell? It's like, okay, whatever. We're seeing the archer. And now, ladies and gentlemen, the three cat women, (laughs) the Amazon, like Julie Newmar, Miss America, Lee Merriweather, and quite possibly, and I'll get hate mail for this, but I don't care, quite possibly the sexiest woman that ever lived, Eartha Kitt. <laughs> Lauren, I'm going to start with you as one of the world's most renowned feminists, which was the best Catwoman? Eartha Kitt. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it, what amazes me, and I don't think it means as much to Lauren as it would to the three of us, is that America was still is, but at the time especially was so racially segregated. Networks would get complaint mails if they just had a black woman on TV. And here they put Eartha Kitt, who's not only black, but half Asian. I mean, she's like a mix, which is even worse to the racists. And they give her this domineering role. And her Catwoman is not only, I, I, I love Julie and, and Lee, but there's something so sexualized about Eartha Kitt's performance. And she's the most vicious of the Catwomen and the most powerful. As a kid watching this when it was first on, Nikita, did it shock you that there was this sexy, powerful, dominant black woman on your screen? No, it confused the hell out of me. It's like another Catwoman. What the hell is this? (laughs) It's just like the Riddler when John Austin was on. It's like, what the hell? That ain't the Riddler. As a kid, we didn't think it was possible to change characters like that, but they did it to us. But as I watch her years later, oh, yeah, I mean, wow. it's uh, She's absolutely a sex symbol, without a doubt. And if you ask me who out of the three, they, they all had their place. I can't pick a better. I can't pick a best. It's just can't, it just can't be done. So, Darren, it's up to you. Your turn. Same boat. I love all three of them. They all brought their own magic to the character. Eartha Kitt definitely came off as a dangerous character, more dangerous than the other two. But uh, uh, I love Lee Merriweather for her alter ego role and the romantic side that she showed with uh, Bruce Wayne. That was That's a classic. Um, you know, Julie Newmar just came off as this head had this flirtatious thing. You just, you couldn't fall in love with her. Nobody could not love that character with uh, uh, Julie Newmar. She just came off so great as a character. So when you ask about which one's the best, I got to say, yep. (laughs) (laughs) See, and to me, I love them all three too. I mean, all three of them were just mind blowing. and, And I loved all three of them, but especially as I got older, I realized 
Lee Merriweather's you might have, it's that like, you know, murder, marry, fuck question. <laughs> you know, which one do you murder? Which one do you marry? Which one? <laughs> I didn't understand what you meant. That's great. <laughs> yeah. Well, Lee Merriweather's the one you'd want to date. Julie Newmar's the one you'd want to pursue, but you'd never get close enough to her. And Eartha Kitt's the one that you knew you were going to bang that night because she was just wanted it more than you did. I don't, maybe that's horrible and crass sounding, but that's how she played it. If she allowed you to, yes. Now, Lauren, I, to me, I think of the Catwoman as an ultimate feminist icon character of American television. Am, am I way off base on that? I wouldn't say so. I mean, um, she is a very powerful figure. Um, she can control men with, you know, just by being in a room. She doesn't have to do anything. Her presence is is enough. Um, and she's she doesn't have henchmen. If if you think about it, not very. Not she doesn't have anybody as many people supporting her. She's more independent than the other villains ever was found. Yeah, and then the henchmen she did have were doofuses. Yeah. <laughs> and she's probably the top villain that had a part a co-villain episode because she had the sandman then eartha kit with the joker forget about the movie everybody was in the movie so it was like and uh don't forget zelda and then slash olga with egghead it was like she was a good character herself zelda and she just used her brain she was a beautiful woman too we didn't get that projection that Zelda was a beautiful woman because they dressed her down, I would say, more, uh, I would say, not casual, but uh, conservative. And it's like she was a beautiful woman, but she didn't use that. She just used because she was a magician. But then, of course, she falls in love like they all did with Batman. But it was the same actress as Zelda and Olga. Yeah. It, and it she, and Baxter. Hot. I like yeah. that. Exactly. And as cool as she was and as powerful as she was, she wasn't as I, I, I don't see little girls saying, I want to be like Olga. No, they wanted to be Catwoman, though. Yeah, I think that's what Victoria, that's what you said. My wife, yes, she like she wanted to be Catwoman. I think it's well, she wanted to be uh, a Aurora from uh, Star Trek, the beautiful Nichelle Nichols. Oh, I think she, sub- she subverts the idea of single women as spinsters with cats. She turns it into something cool. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. Because she ain't a spinster, and she is the cat. And we all know, us cat owners all know, the cat rules the house. Yeah. I don't have one, but I've been around enough. And it's like, oh, yeah. They let you know what they like and don't like. Girl cats are the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Cleopatra can hear you. <laughs> There's a reason they're called Queen. <laughs> yeah. Now, I know it's late over in Wales, and Lauren has to work very early in the morning, so I know she's going to want to duck out fairly soon. So before Lauren goes, Darren, Nikita, you could stick on here, but Lauren, is there anything Batman at all related you want to talk about before you, before you bow out? Uh, no, I think it's all been covered, really. It's just I don't know so much about the 60s series. It's something I have watched. You know, I was more, I was a 90s, 90s child, so it's the animated series for me. Uh, you know, the animated Catwoman, let's talk about that for a second. 
Did you like, Darren especially, because you're the comic book expert, did you think the Catwoman from that 90s animated series hit the mark of the character the way any of the 360s actresses did? You know, it's been a long time since I've seen the animated series. Uh, mm, There was just something, it it didn't have quite the same energy that the Batman TV show had for the the Catwoman. That's the thing I remember at the time. But then again, I can't remember how many episodes I've seen, you know, after a point that sort of blurs over time. Well, Lauren, before you go, I want to ask you about one more female character. Now, we're going to go on to the villains that weren't from the comic book. But there was one female character that was based on an actual historical figure when they put Ma Parker, which was based on Ma Barker, played by Shelley Winters. What what is your take on them taking an actual historical woman, creating her into this kind of buffoonish clown character and giving it to Shelley Winters? Um, Well, I guess... In the 60s, historical dramas were very prominent, so it wouldn't it wouldn't be a big leap for for them to try and capitalize on that to keep a series going. So, in other words, Shelley Winters a no go. <laughs> um, I, I I don't know I don't know who else they would have gotten to. It would have had to be somebody with a high profile to do it, otherwise everybody would have hated it but if it's somebody that had had a um a tried and tested background and an audience that you know an audience that they would bring to the series as well it would work rather than just casting someone unknown and she was another major star at the time well without a doubt and it wasn't as bad as it sounds uh, no, plus, it's another example of that series putting a female into the dominant, tough lead. Another thing you just didn't see then. But as well as it was from, you know, from observing the series, it was a way for those big stars to play around, to have fun, to blow off steam. Um, You know, it was and I don't think there's ever been anything like that after it as well. Because nope. it, it was a melodrama, but in the fun sense, it was pantomime. It was like our our tradition of pantomime. That's what it was. That's a good way of putting it. That it was in the UK version uh, tradition of pantomime. Very good. But I but lied to you, Lauren. The very choreographed um, fight scenes as well were um, very reminiscent of if you look at Gainsborough melodrama as well. There. Um, fights were always choreographed um, because the actors were stage actors so they would always fight as if they were on stage and that's what as an as an adult when I look at that I see it's a very choreographed fight that is done as if it was being played on a stage and if it could be sort of be picked up and put on a stage now I lied to you, Lauren. I know you're going to hate me for this. I said you could go after that one, but I have one more that you have to stay on for because you won't be able to wipe the smile off your face when I mention it. Vincent Price as Egghead. 
again I think it is he brings his own audience with it each star would have an audience and you would tune in to see them as well as the as well as the faithful audience that would tune in to see Batman and the audience that they had built up over the time you would also get Vincent Price's audience as well and I know you love Vincent Price do you love Vincent Price (laughs) His daughter is on Facebook and she's been posting things lately with some very nice photographs from when she was younger. It, he was a great man as well. He just, uh, of course, amazing. Dr. Fibes and all the way down the line. He was amazing. And of course, Lauren's favorite, the Tingler. Yeah. <laughs> the Tingler. Um, great film. Burgess Mer- Mer- Meredith's granddaughter has been posting a lot on Twitter as well. She posts a lot of pictures and um i think when he um, people kept sending him penguins and she managed to keep some of the collection of the pe- of penguins he was sent and he said it always delighted him when people sent him a penguin that's nice yeah. that's good you like when people appreciate being appreciated it's like some some stars will get to be like it's you're a splinter in their ass but others love it and if you're an actor, you should love it because you're not going to have an audience without fans. Same thing with wrestling or anything else. People have to buy the tickets or you don't come to work. So it's like, realize we put our money on the table for you. And we, but we adore you. We love you. You become part. We, we let you come into our lives. We invite you in. I think with some of the old actors as well, it's the fear of being forgotten. Yes. And because they're having children 20, 30 years after they'd starred in something, appreciating them, it sort of it sort of makes them smile. It sort of makes that they're part of a family tradition and that they won't be forgotten. Except if you're Alec Guinness and turn around and tell children to stop watching Star Wars. <laughs> he did that. He did. A yeah. uh, child had watched Star Wars a lot and he told him stop and never watch it again. You know, and that's another great thing about the series. And Lauren hit on it perfectly. A lot of these actors that will get, not the guest stars that are remembered, but that will be typecast for one role that they play, they learn to really resent that role. And they get angry and they hate it and they hate being referred to it. Adam West embraced the Batman like nobody did. And to his dying day, he was so proud, not because it made him a star so much, but because, as he said, I was a force of good for generations of kids that wanted to do good because of watching me. And you can dig all you want. There was never a story that he did this bad or he was with this woman. He maintained that image. He was an idol that the kids could look up to. They they never had anything that he did wrong or any any kind of stories. It's like, that's cool. And when he died, I think that that rocked the world. I don't think there's been another actor, really, that brought people to a tear. I say, oh, really? Batman died? You know, it's just that's that's a mark that can be surpassed. I liked it in the Big Bang Theory when he was ranking all the. Um, Thank you. Yes. When he was ra- ra- ranking all the uh, Batman's, 
<laughs> yes, when they have him in the car. Yes, very good, Lauren. I love that episode. Though. Yeah. Yes. I think is it Ben Affleck, and he goes, "What's an Affleck?" <laughs> What's an Affleck? And George Clooney, I was nothing but pure West. That's like that's right. It, it, unfortunately, with Blu-ray, you could see he had lunch that day. He, he started some stains on the outfit, but that was him in that costume. That was it. It was tight fitting. And there was that great Simpsons episode where he's on as Adam West at the auto show with the Batmobile. And the kids are like, that's not Batman. And he and he, he gives that great line. And only Adam West could deliver it this way. There was no paddock on my suit. Pure West. <laughs> I have to say Family Guy, though, that, that I was so fond of him for doing Family Guy. Oh, as the mayor. Yeah. When he has the light bright board and he's putting the pegs on and he runs out of letters, he goes, who's Adam we? <laughs> oh, we all loved Adam. The family guy where he made the uh, live action appearance with Rob Lowe. <laughs> did you guys see that? I did. It's great being this. Oh, all right, Lauren, anything else you want to say before you bust off? Because she's got to be at the museum early. Yeah, it was just lovely to meet you both, and I hope we have um, a chance to speak again. Yeah. Agreed. Nice, nice meeting you. you. All right. I love you, Lauren. I'll pop you up tomorrow. Yep. Good night. Good Bye. Night. Bye. Bye. But you see, now we're not being rude. Lauren is five hours ahead of us in New York, and, you know, because she's in Wales. Hence that wonderful accent that we all love. And is there anything better than hearing Lauren say Hitchcock? Excellent. All right, we ended up talking so long that we decided that much like the original Batman series, we're going to turn this into a two-parter, so tune in next week. Same bat time, same bat channel. What can we do with that? We can fuck somebody up.